Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of Pulp Today. Cheers. Today we are going to talk about the TV tie-in, specifically one of my dads, uh, for a television show that uh, I will be very surprised if anyone watching this show has ever seen a single episode of. It was called The Felony Squad, and uh, ran in the late 60s. It was a half-hour show starring Howard Duff, uh, probably around the time he stopped abusing his wife, Ida Lupino. And, sorry, it's a cheap shot, but he was a terrible human being. Novelizations, which is where a writer takes a script that's uh, been written by somebody else, as in last week's uh, when we talked about Star Trek and James Blish, and turns that into a novel. My father novelized Beneath the Planet of the Apes, The Cannonball Run. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's a novel. And uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, and on the other side of the spectrum, Samuel Fuller's uh, Shock Carter, which is a terrific book. But it was a, it's, a, it's a thing. It's a way writers make money. There's also something called tie-ins. A tie-in is where you take the characters and situations of a television show and write a novel about it. Uh, Jim Thompson, for example, just happened to have this handy, did an Ironside novel. It's terrible. Don't tell any Jim Thompson fans I said that. He's great. Love Jim Thompson. His Ironside novel is really bad. Um, Dad wrote some great ones and uh, had a real vogue for it in the 60s and 70s. He did The Man from Uncle and The Girl from Uncle and Mannix and Hawaii Five-O and things like that. He also did The Partridge Family and he did a lot of those and they made a lot of money. Possibly the most successful books of his career, which, you know, is a thing we call a mixed blessing. But anyway, I don't want to give too much away. Felony Squad was shot in Los Angeles and took place in an unnamed western city, but you saw Los Angeles landmarks all the time. My father, whether with the blessings of the production company or they absolutely did not care, his takes place in a very identifiable New York City. Uh, I should mention, and this is a real thing that happens with tie-ins, a lot of times the writer is writing while they're shooting the first episode, while they're shooting a pilot, before they've shot a pilot. I believe when he wrote Man from Uncle, number one, nothing had been shot, and they had a series Bible and maybe a script, and later things like Ilya Kuryak and David McCallum becoming the very prominent co-star of the show hadn't happened yet, so that character is a minor character in Dad's Man from Uncle novel compared to how he is on the series, because things evolve. Dad had Dan McGarrett, uh, Steve McGarrett smoking in Hawaii Five-0. I don't know that Jack Lord had been cast yet. Jack doesn't smoke. But most heroes on crime shows smoked in the 70s, so it seemed like a pretty safe bet. All that to say, it's a tricky thing, I think, writing a tie-in. I've never, never done one myself. But the, the trick is it has to seem exactly like the TV series. But it also has to be just a little bit bigger. It has to be a more intense, more important adventure worthy of a novel. Here is the first chapter of The Felony Squad by Popular Library in 1967. Copyright 20th Century Fox Television. It is dedicated to my father's best friend. 
This book is an acknowledgement to William James DePrado, Idea Man Extraordinary. May all his noons be high ones. What I get from that, because my father was very big on giving credit where credit is due, I bet the basic premise of this book was something DePrado, who we called Dapper, was something Dapper may have uh, said to him one late one night, and he went, hey, yeah, that is a pretty good idea. Anyway, here, here we go. Chapter 1, Overture to Horse Opera. The darkened movie house throbbed. The screen danced and wavered. Alan Ladd walked slowly away from the bar, faced the man sitting at the wooden table, and said through tight lips, You're a dirty, rotten, stinking, no-good liar. Jack Palance, dressed in funeral black, smiled the death smile, leering like a skull. Prove it, he whispered mockingly, the challenge. Wilson's challenge to Shane, as he had goaded Stonewall and all the dead men before him. There was a tiny moment of bare, endless time, a stillness. Then the blur of lightning and swift violence flashing like a thunderbolt across the celluloid heavens. Lad's gun thundered, the screen hurling a tremendous gobbling echo of explosion and death into the audience. The blast of sound filled the amphitheater of the movie house. Wilson Palance flipped over like a doll pulled on invisible strings, taking the table and his chair with him, crashing, roaring, falling. He sat in his seat, his heart hammering almost painfully. His tongue was dry in his mouth. He tried not to perspire, but he could feel the seeping, soaking sensation once more. He felt massed in dampness and drenched with sweat. His hands trembled. He kept them still by ramming them into the big pockets of the loose, sloppy trench coat covering his lean, gawky body. His knees wanted to come together to press so hard, to press hard so that the excitement in his abdomen would go away. All about him, the dark theater, the customers. A woman in the back, somewhere, giggled. A man muttered low. And still, up there on the screen, the movie stalked to its gloomy, irrevocable finale. Was that him, Shane? Was that Wilson? The kid actor was blurting that line again as he had a million times before. And always came Lad's smooth, unharried answer. Yeah, that was Wilson, Joey. He was fast. Fast on the draw. He couldn't bear it any longer. He rose stiffly from his seat, stumbling for the aisle. A middle-aged woman, wrapped with the movie, frowned at him in annoyance for deciding to take his leave just then. He saw her gross peasant's face through a veil of anger and scorn. His hands itched to go to his waist, to probe beneath the trench coat for the twin secrets strapped to his sides. Guns. Fast draws. Shane. Wilson. The majesty of it. The enormous spectacle. The glorious moment of truth. Who's the fastest? Who's the best? The greatest game of all. Angrily, he pushed past the woman's jutting fat knees and lurched into the aisle. He had to get out, find some fresh air to breathe again. His head was throbbing. His temples were like two bands of steel squeezing his brains. Oh, yes, he had more than one brain. Two brains. People. What did they know? Fools, pigs, hoi polloi, statistics. So many dandruff cases, so many traffic accidents. Silly, brainless humanity. The mob, the great unwashed. He staggered for the lighted lobby at the rear of the house. Dimly, like a wail from a distant shore, he could hear the boy calling now. Shane, come back. Mommy wants you, needs you. Shane! His lips pulled in a snarl. Snot-nosed, sniveling kid. What did real he-men need with brats, with mommies? 
What did anybody need when they were the fastest draw in the world, when nobody alive was able to beat you when it came to clearing your holster of a gun quicker and sooner than anybody in the whole wide, aching goddamn world? Shane, come back, Shane! The kid's screaming voice stayed with him all the way to the sidewalk outside the movie house. The marquee and window display shone all about him. The darkened streets hissed softly with the falling rain. And still the kid's cry lingered, until it was drowned out once more by the tremendous pounding fury of Shane's shot, slamming Wilson to the floor of Riker's saloon. Damn, 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 that was good, that was fine, that was marvelous. That beat horse, martinis, and making love, that was better than all the lollipops in the world. But nah, Rosie couldn't match guns. Fast, fine guns. Fast draws. Rosie was dead. Who cared? He turned up the street, walking away from the theater. The secret strapped to his thighs burned, crawled, and danced like two things alive. They were alive. They were his friends. His two passports to Treasure Island and immortality. The rain slapped his face, swiping it, but the turned-down brim of the wide Stetson hat he had bought at the Army and Navy store last week kept most of it away. The trench coat hung loosely about his tall, awkward body. His hands lay buried in his pockets, his short black boots, no odder than the footwear of any modern beatnik, kicked up little balls of mud as he sludged along the asphalt sidewalk. Damn, but he felt fine now. His hands itched in his pockets, the knuckles tightening. Gary Cooper as Wild Bill Hickok, John Wayne as Hondo, Gregory Peck as Ringo, Randolph Scott as Wyatt Earp. Gods, goddammit, gods! The real men, the real Westerners. The biggest game of all, his own private, very personal, very lonesome game. And nobody in the world would know he was playing it. Damn, damn, damn. He couldn't wait. The ghost of Alan Ladd's quiet mastery as the gunfighter hurried him along the wet pavement. He began to run to look wildly about the lonely streets. He had to find a policeman. Any policeman. They could play the game with him. After all, they carried guns. That is the first chapter of The Felony Squad, as you can maybe figure out from that. It becomes a story of a serial killer who seeks out police officers in order to have old west style gun duels with them and of course he is designed trained and primed to beat them at it um and our hero detective sam stone has to find him uh it's a great little novel the uh there's a there's a coda to the story but before i get to that i have to address the fact that you know my dad didn't necessarily you know like him like me he wrote about violence he wrote about violent people and nowhere in his work is he saying you know westerns make people into psychopaths uh, or that uh, killers are born from watching movies but you know the culture of a man feeling more like a man because he walks out and shoots somebody is undeniably an american sickness and one that we're dealing with even as I record this. And I, I want to acknowledge that. It's a, it's a tough thing to deal with in art because you can't make art about the limits, dangers, apocalyptic difficulties of violence without depicting violence. And uh, it's something we all struggle with, I think. 
the the coda the interesting story and it's such a thing in a writer's career when dad handed this in his editor patrick o'connor thought it was really great and he invited dad to lunch in the city and dad as he often did put on a suit went into new york city from our home in the suburbs of new jersey and had lunch with pat o'connor and pat said this is too good for a tie-in of this, this goofy television show and maybe you should consider adding maybe another 30 50 pages to it and we'll sell it as a as an original novel just change the cops to two other cops it doesn't have to be these two guys from the tv show and uh and then you can just knock out some felony squad thing that's not as rich and interesting and psychological as this is and my father i think unsurprisingly said look <laughs> this is the job i got paid to do I did it. I'm handing it in. Your dreams of, you know, this being published uh, to great fanfare and rave reviews are just dreams. And I'm a guy making a living. And this is what I wrote about the characters on Felony Squad and just hand it in and publish it. And they did. And uh, Pat O'Connor actually writes about this in his memoirs, which I believe are called Don't Look Back. He felt very vindicated because when the book was finally published, it is not the kind of book that gets reviewed. It is certainly not the kind of book that gets reviewed in Publishers Weekly. And there was a review of this book in Publishers Weekly where the reviewer literally said, we don't usually review this kind of thing, but I picked it up off the slush pile on the way out of the office for the weekend. And damn, this is a really great book. This is a great modern novel about a serial killer in New York City hunted by cops. And uh, it was really, a you know, an amazing surprise and a really terrific book. And uh, Pat always felt vindicated. He felt that that proved that he was right. And if they had gone down his path, it would have been uh, hailed and properly celebrated. Ironically, there's a coda beyond that, an epilogue beyond that. Dad wrote a second Felony Squad novel, and the show was canceled before the book was published, so it was the book never came out as a Felony Squad book. But he did change all of the names in it, as Pat had wanted him to do with the first one, and it was published in hardcover in England as The Killing Star. And I think that's about a serial killer who's a policeman. Um, anyway, that is Pulp Today for today, The Adventures of a Professional Writer working in media, working in tie-ins. Hope you enjoyed it. Sorry for the, the dark note there in the middle, but it's just impossible to escape what it is that we're living with every day. Have a better one. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.